Blog Talk Radio. Ancient colleagues, no matter where you are and when you're listening. Uh, You know if uh, you're listening live, it's Wednesday, and this is Voices of the Sacred Feminine, and I'm your host, Karen Tate. And uh, if you like that music, uh, that uh, version of Ancient Mother, that was by Diva Haley. And uh, the name of the cut is actually Narayani, Narayani by Diva Haley. So uh, just a reminder before we get too deep, a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, VSF is uh, streaming live at 11 a.m. Pacific, Wednesdays or later from the archives at your convenience. If you miss us at 11, doesn't mean you uh, miss the opportunity to hear me or my wonderful guests. And we're now on uh, all of the podcast platforms like Spotify, Amazon, Google, Apple. Uh, So uh, we're out there in all sorts of places. And I'd like to hear from you if you have show ideas, interview ideas, um, even if you want to run some commercials about your work. uh, You know if uh, we run it here, people of like mind will hear about it. And uh, if there's anything you believe would make the show better, don't hesitate to contact me via my website at karentate.net. I am uh, an open door here and love to hear from uh, from my wonderful guests. So if you're new to the show, uh, as I said, I'm Karen Tate, and my guests and I discuss sex, power, gender, religion, politics. We're not afraid of any of it. And I believe it's a real broad spectrum of visionaries and forward thinkers, women and men, from a right brain, maybe some call it divine feminine point of view. Uh, some might not even realize that they or their ideas and values actually fit comfortably under that goddess umbrella, as I like to call it. Uh, and, you know, these ideas and values, um, the feminine consciousness or the shift away from patriarchal dominance to manifest a much-needed new normal, well, you know, this is the kind of stuff uh, that can save the world or, at the very least, uh, raise our individual consciousness. And in some cases, uh, if you're like me, I'm from the South, it's all the stuff mom said, never talk about at the dinner table. But you know what? I don't think uh, that's the way we should do it. I think we should say fear not. 
taste the forbidden fruit. We have to rethink everything. We have to reclaim and embrace the age-old knowledge that's been denied for us too long. Let's have our voices heard and let's change the world. Unlock your transformational toolkit and empower yourself and then spread that out like you're a pebble in a pond and help save the world. And I think all my great guests uh, have ideas uh, along those lines uh, that um, help us rethink how we've been doing things, uh, things that don't work anymore. And sometimes it's um, ancient wisdom that uh, needs to be brought back to the fore. And today uh, I have uh, with me Carrie Hummingbird. Uh, she is a soul guide and host of Soul Nectar Show, a podcast that I was on recently and had great fun. Um, she is the number one international best-selling author of a book called The Second Wave, Transcend- Transcending the Human Drama, also uh, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love, and another, Love is Fierce, Healing the Mother Wound. And uh, we're going to chat today about um, uh, saving humanity by connecting to Mother Earth, uh, what indigenous people can teach us to save ourselves, which delves into embodiment, inner medicine, how our story influences our life experience. Maybe uh, we'll get to um, her ideas about reducing stress and that mental chatter that we have in our head. So, uh, but, you know, let, uh, let me stop describing the show and we'll actually get into our conversation. Carrie Hummingbird, welcome to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Karen. I'm excited to be here and and for all the listeners and sending so many blessings to anyone listening. Thank you, thank you. And three uh, three really great books there. Um, wow, you were really busy. How how many years have you been an author publishing these books, Carrie? My first book was in 2012. I was six months out from leaving my father of my children and stepping out into um, life as a single mom and figuring out uh, what God and source and spirit was. I had no idea. And then I heard this message, you're going to write a book. And I was like, okay, I'm going to write a book? Me? Yes. What's the title? (laughs) Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love. And I said, oh, well, I think I need some self-love, so okay, I'll write that book. And that was two years in the making, and it was my first book, and it was published in 2014, and to very little acclaim, but I did get some awards for it. And then, you know, flash forward to 2019 and got the message again, you're going to write another book. (laughs) What's it called? (laughs) Uh, The Second Wave, Transcending the Human Drama. And I said, what's the second wave <laughs> and got the message and wrote the book and that book's been on the charts bestseller five countries for let's see 185 weeks now i think today and that is just kind of miraculous to me i don't have a publisher you know i don't have like a marketing team or anything like that so i just think well that book must be needed and um my newest book is um is out and uh, launched on Earth Day. It's called Inner Medicine, Becoming One with Mother Earth for the Survival of Humanity. And it's already a number one international bestseller. It's been on the charts now two weeks. So, it, you know, it feels 
feels good to be sending messages that uh, people need at this time. So I feel really, really good that I got called in to be a, a writer. <laughs> Well, uh, well, you know they—they they do. They—they they, uh, are books that we do need. I mean, I'm thinking about the title of your first one, "One Woman's Journey to Self-Love." I mean, that's really what it boils down to, right? I mean, uh, you know, in in a lot of cases, we're living in this patriarchal society uh, where, uh, you know, not all, of course, but some women learn that. Uh, um, you know, we are made in God's image, and if you're a woman and don't know about goddess, well, you think man is made in God's image. And that help, that, that hurts a woman's um, self-esteem. Um, you know, uh, it, it hurts her, I think, being able to love herself, and we end up uh, taking a lot of maybe abuse that we shouldn't take, uh, tolerating things out in the world. Um, is is that where you were uh, going with that uh, subtitle, Awakening to Be, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love? Well, absolutely. I mean, uh, up until leaving my former spouse, you know, that was a lifetime of trying to meet other people's expectations, being a pleaser, trying to manipulate circumstances to go my way, um, being really afraid of conflict, like not really wanting to have a conflict with somebody, being taught that I, you know, I needed to be pretty pleasing and polite. And I think that's a message that most of us get as women. And I even went to a really good feminist college. I mean, I went to Smith College, which is very feminist and, and doesn't really believe any of that stuff. And even though I went to a really good college and I had lots of encouragement to stand on my own two feet and speak my voice and have confidence, um, I still ended up down the rabbit hole of, you know, when you get married and, that marriage construct comes down, that's a real thing, you know, and it feels like you're losing your power as a woman. It feels like, especially then you become a mother, it's like, wow, I'm just supposed to surrender my entire self to everyone. And, you know, and if you don't do that, then you're, you're not doing it right. You know, you're selfish. If you want to have something in your life that's for you or you want to express yourself or you want to, um, you know, have, have a career or something like that, you know, and have a child. It's like trying to do it all and not with a whole lot of support. I mean, I remember um, I was I was sort of the one that was blamed for the problems in the family, and um, I was the one that was going to work on myself in psychotherapy week after week and on a couch talking about, like, how I'm just causing all these problems and I need to fix myself. And really, I just was, I was independent, you know, I was independent, I had my own mind, and that didn't jive with the construct um, as it's created in our society. Um, and, it, you know, I think that when you're insecure in yourself, and you're, we're trained to be insecure in ourselves, when we're insecure in ourselves as women, it creates a whole lot of drama, you know, and that's what I really experienced was, how me not being confident in myself, me not knowing my power, um, me not really understanding the importance of my role as mother and to be strong in that role, um, me not really understanding how to say no, you know, to my partner, yeah. really affirm no, that caused yeah. a lot of ripples in my family system. It's super challenging as women. And we do yeah. get told that we're to blame and we do get put the pills like, here, take this pill, stop feeling that, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So we need, to, we need to turn that around. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think women are getting smarter. Um, I, I really do. I, I had a, a, a conversation with a woman recently who said that, um, you know, uh, it seems to be a trend with younger women um, that, uh, uh, you know, if they don't meet, uh, uh, you know, if they're heterosexual and they don't meet a man that is going to, you know, jive with their view of who they can be in the world, um, they're foregoing the idea of maybe getting married. Maybe they have a platonic relationship uh, with another woman and maybe they buy a house together and maybe they, um, you know, even adopt kids. And it's purely platonic, but they they pull their resources and they don't get caught up in this idea of what society expects of a woman, a wife, a mother. You know, they, they're sort of rethinking uh, the paradigm. It's a new version of family. Is, is that something that you've seen on the horizon in, you know, in, in your orbits? Yeah, I think that the slant that I take through this um, is that, well, first of all, I'm 53. So that does make a difference because we're all exploring um, generationally this um, paradigm through different lenses and you know like my mom's lens through this is very very different than my lens and my kids lenses are going to be really different than mine so in my lens you know I feel like my generation it has been bridging the the gap between the old way of thinking the patriarchal way of the placement of a woman and the the liberation we're now seeing out there in the world like it's amazing to see so many people stepping in to their freedom even their gender expression and saying hey you know i want to be called they like i'm non-binary like don't put me in a box you know you can't label me i think that's really exciting and i would say for myself you know my journey has been really healing um what is marriage healing what is a mother um, and the Love is Fierce book, Healing the Mother Wound, was a very powerful book for me. It took me about three years to write that book um, of deep ceremonial work um, in, my, in my own consciousness and healing the places where I had resentments for my mother and where I had sort of resentments for myself for not being a strong mother to begin with, you know, very being very uncertain of myself, very doubting and kind of letting other people gaslight me about things. And, and you know, there was a lot of feelings I had as I watched the results of that in my kids as they were growing up. I have two sons. I was like, wow, this is, um, this is something I really want to heal. I want to heal how I show up in the world so that when my sons think about their mother, they have a sense of somebody strong, somebody powerful, somebody respectful of their journey, somebody that loves them, and, and they don't have the feelings of somebody that is involved in a he said, she said game or is involved in blaming and shaming or is caught up in the, you know, the war of the roses, which is really what happened at the end of my marriage. You know, there was like that shadow of conflict that between men and women that has been part of our whole paradigm as humans. And that's really what's being called to be healed, I believe. And I think that's why there's so many people inventing new ways of having relationship and new ways of having family that are kind of outside of that really toxic 
contentious war between men and women. And for yeah. my own journey, I've also, you know, I've also been rewiring what marriage means with my husband. So my new husband um, and I, we have a relationship based on the four agreements. So pretty much he asked me to marry him and I said, I'm not sure I ever want to be married again. And, and it was really clear that we, you know, that this was a good thing for me to, to be with this person as my partner. So I agreed to it. And I said, only if we immediately go into ayahuasca ceremony with our, you know, for the entire weekend. Like, I'm going to go right in and heal this, like, while it's up, because it's not going to infect my relationship. So I feel like coming into the paradigm as a, as a medicine person with a mindset of rewiring the consciousness of the construct itself with your partner, I think that's so powerful. It's what I've been experiencing. Yeah. Well, and, and then your, your, your next book, I can understand why it was a bestseller, too. Uh, you know, the second wave, well, the, uh, I, you know, I think it gets clearer in the subtitle, Transcending the Human Drama. I mean, wow, human drama is just everywhere. I mean, uh, to the point where so many people are just, uh, you know, t- t- turning off the television. Uh, it, I mean, it's just become overwhelming. Um, tell us a little bit about that one. And, um, uh, you know, was it because of all the turmoil out there in the world, the upheaval? It Was that the inspiration for that one? That one was written in 2019. And so I was uh, told I was going to write that book in February of 2019, um, I wrote that book, I published it, and who knew that less than a year later it would be 2020 and all of that stuff was going to unfold. So I think part of the reason why that book is really um, uh, catches people's attention is because a lot of people woke up in 2020 uh, and realized, wait a second, this is, this is more than a pandemic. There's something going on here. Like, I think this is more than just some man-made thing like this is a this is something bigger and that's what this book talks about is that um, there's been set into motion for many 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 generations and arguably thousands of years um, the evolution of human consciousness into a higher vibrational way of being on the planet and the human consciousness that's being called forth many people might recognize in someone like Jesus or might recognize in the Buddha but this is a human consciousness that's being called forth, this elevation for every single human, regardless of gender. Every single human can embody this rise in consciousness that they're calling homo luminous. And so the second wave is the second wave of volunteers to the planet that came to assist humanity in making this evolutionary leap of consciousness. And so the first wave was kind of right around, you know, the 60s. And you can see these amazing leaders en masse, right, like looking in the culture of the United States alone, we can see in the 1960s there was this amazing, like, wave of amazing volunteers, people that were clearly more conscious than everybody else, like people that just were like, wow, this person is amazing, like Martin Luther King, you know, speaking so bravely about civil rights, people that were willing to stand up for what they believed in, just waves and waves of people like that. It was amazing. Well, that was the first wave. 
that was kind of like bushwhacking the trail, right? Like they were the ones with mm-hmm. the big the big skates, you know, like just whacking down, you know, this human jungle. And now comes a second wave and we're in it right now. And there's so many volunteers on the planet right now lifting the consciousness, like here to be in service. And we even have some third wave on the planet now. So a lot of this work um, uh, is understood because of some previous work that Dolores Cannon did in this field where she actually took people into deep, deep states of hypnosis. And when they were in their deep, deep states of hypnosis, she interviewed them and she realized they were giving all the same kinds of information. Like these people she was interviewing, thousands of people were saying, oh, I'm part of the first wave or I'm part of the second wave. And she's like, what is this? So she's documented that. And um, she has a book called The Three Waves of Volunteers. It documents all that. I still haven't read that book because when I write a book, I, you know, I, I do it straight channeling. But I knew that she did that work because I was told, like, go look at her on YouTube. She's got a thing on there. I was like, oh, that's right. Okay. So the second wave is really, um, I'm a member of the second wave, and my eldest son is also a member of the second wave. And so we're, you know, we're part of this, like, healers to the planet, healers, people that are, that are really find themselves in the deep, dark shadows of humankind, uh, experiencing all these wretched things, and then bringing it into the light, you know, bringing it into consciousness and exploring all these healing modalities. So anybody who kind of resonates with that, like, I've had a really tough life, and I'm a really good expert in all things human consciousness, that's probably you. (laughs) Probably part of the second wave or the first wave. So, um, I mean, there used to be a term. I don't know if it's still, uh, you know, the term used anymore. Uh, but, uh, you know, people used to be called light workers. Uh, is, is, mm-hmm. Would this be the same person? And are they still called light workers? Yeah, I've, light workers is an excellent term to use. And now there's the emergence of the shadow worker. And a lot of times that word is being used now because it is the um, – is really exploring the whole subconscious. The area of subconscious, the shadows, is where we get the most um, transformation when we're willing to explore those things. And light workers um, and can also be shadow workers. And there's some light workers that only focus on the light. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. Um, but there's some of us that are called to straddle both worlds, you know, be in the light and be in the shadow and working both ends of the spectrum. And then there's some of us who just send the light. And, and that's perfectly, like I said, it's perfectly okay. That There's a beautiful service in that. And those of us who are doing the light work and the shadow work, you know, that is a whole calling unto itself. And it is, you know, from it can be challenging because usually if you're a shadow worker, you are tuned to feel the subconscious patterns and movements and emotions of the collective, which is um, all the repressed things that people don't want to feel, right? And so they try to shove it away. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just stuck, you know, in the, selective, in the collective subconscious, like not going anywhere. So that's what the healers work on is clearing that out. Yeah. I know I've found since I um... – uh, you know, launched my book, Normalizing Abuse, uh, I find that there's resistance to opening it up, you know, uh, because people have stuffed stuff, you know, they've, they've uh, packed it away and don't want to look at it. And, uh, yeah, there is a resistance to looking at that shadow stuff, I guess maybe always has been. 
Yeah, and this is really because of people's misunderstanding about how to work on shadow work. Um, you know, shamanic healing doesn't require someone to relive the trauma. You know, that is not required in shamanic healing. Uh, we also don't bypass things, right? But there's a there's a nice little trail uh, through the middle where you can actually feel what you need to feel, a taste of it, not be overwhelmed by it, but feel some of what you need to feel, and then have the thing cleared and receive the wisdom and the lesson. And then we can move forward with the wisdom and the lesson, not get stuck in the trauma. But see, most people, by ignoring the trauma or by avoiding it or by distracting from it or by drinking or drugs, you know, there's lots of marijuana used on the planet right now, which is a little bit, you know, it's not the same marijuana in my age or your age, let's just say that. This is a this is kind of verging on very dangerous, actually, in my perspective, but what I've seen with my kids. But the level of distraction from the shadow, the, rel- the level of avoidance is huge. And, and really, yeah. I think that's a sign that people feel at some level the ominous nature of what is facing humanity, and they're trying to not be aware of it. It's like that movie, Don't Look Up. You know, it's like... Okay, we need to yeah. look up, people. Like, we actually need to yeah. look up. We need to take our heads out of the sand, you know, stand up, face this thing head on, and do our personal work to elevate everything, you know. And we have it, you know, we're, we're not, um, it is the 11th hour, and, and we're not out of hope yet. <laughs> so we need to get to work. Well, yeah, and I mean, and the reality is, if you don't take it out and look at it and deal with it, it's gonna it, it's gonna come back, um, either in how you view yourself or the people around you or the decisions you make. Um, I mean, you can think you're stuffing it, but um, uh, you know, it, it it will raise its head and potentially affect. Um, you know, the quality of your life, and it's really better to just look at it, get the wisdom from it, and move on, Um, you know, rather than, you know, continuing to deny because you're afraid you're going to be triggered or something. Yeah, I think triggers are gold, you know, so I always invite people to reframe triggers, because triggers are only there to show us what's, what still needs healing within. So when you shift your perspective to go, I want to heal myself fully. Like, I want to be fully healed. I want to have my auric field to be nice and full and, you know, replenished. And I want to feel love in my heart. And I, I want to bring all that beauty to myself. Then triggers become, oh, thank you for showing me another place where I'm I need to heal my heart, another place where I take things personally, another place where I leak energy to other people, another place where I give away my power to somebody else. If I, if I see the trigger, I can heal that within myself and no longer give my power away to someone else, no longer allow my energy to leak out of my container, and therefore I'm not going to be exhausted. I'm going to be powerful and strong and happy the more I look at my triggers and heal what's within that caused me to be triggered by it. So I, I think triggers are, are gold mines. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about uh, making lemonade of lemons, right? Um, but, um, but let's talk about your, your latest book. Um, please give us the title again. It's called Inner Medicine, Becoming One with Mother Earth for the Survival of Humanity. And what do you mean by inner medicine? 
So inner medicine is really different than what I did the first whole part of my life where I was going to psychotherapy, sitting on the couch and hoping that somebody else would be able to fix me. You know, that's outer medicine, you know, and then taking the pills, hoping it would stop me from feeling. Well, it didn't. You know, it it stopped me from being aware that I was feeling, but it didn't stop me from feeling. And it didn't stop me from getting disease in my body because I wasn't addressing the feelings I was having. And then I wasn't addressing the root causes of those feelings. So they kept happening over and over and over again, like the trigger conversation. So inner medicine is when instead of like focusing on trying to fix yourself using somebody else's wisdom or some other external thing, You actually learn how to go inside of yourself and track things inside of yourself, which is a whole new skill set for a lot of people to become aware, to be a witness of yourself and to go inside of yourself and heal the things that need healing so that you don't have these um, recurring big emotions and toxic dramas and things like that and that you do live more peacefully and more and more happy. And what you get as a result of inner medicine is you get wisdom. You know, you get wisdom, you get an aura that vibrates with that wisdom, and then that wisdom becomes medicine for other people, even if you never said anything about it. When you have inner medicine, you're more in your heart, you're more heart coherent, and simply by walking around with an open heart and and a, and a compassionate heart towards yourself and others, that's huge medicine for other people. And that's called HeartMath, um, the organization HeartMath talks about um, how powerful it is when somebody is really resonant in their own heart with lots of love and compassion, how that influences everybody around them. Everybody else can feel that love from their heart, and it helps rebalance the people around you. So I, I see inner medicine as you become this walking blessing in the world, and that's, that's my goal is to be a walking blessing every day. So um, is it possible for you to kind of walk us through maybe a short version of that, um, how one might go within and what they might see, you know, what what might they find uh, that, you know, maybe talk therapy doesn't get to or address or reveal and um, and, and how you turn that into uh, a healing experience? Yeah, so for example, this is a completely fake example. I'm just letting everybody know, but I'm making up this example right now because it's a common one I'm sure many people go through. So let's say that your partner is um, at work and meets somebody really cool and is telling you all about how wonderful this person is. And they have all these beautiful skills and they know this and they know that. And then you notice that they're texting back and forth and they're having these conversations. And you might start to get insecure about that right you might start to feel like why are they having this conversations what's going on here is this like some kind of dependency or am I not good enough for this person or is this competition you know as a woman like these are the kinds of things that go through women's brains and I used to go through my brain too so now what happens instead of that is if I get triggered by it let's say I go wow she texted you at 10 o'clock at night I might go inside and go okay what part of Carrie is being triggered? Okay, I go inside Carrie and find that part of me that was being triggered. And I might find someone inside of me that goes, I know what this is. Okay, you know what this is. Let me go talk to this one that knows what this is. 
And then I'll remember something from my last marriage, not even this relationship, some other relationship. And I'll say, well, I know what this is because this happened over here. So it's the dot connections, right? And so now as I go into that, I realize, well, that was a different person I was in relationship with. We had a different dynamic. I was a different person. And in the context of that relationship, that might be a really adequate assumption. But now I'm going to return to my four agreements. Am I not making any assumptions? And I'm going to go inside myself and say, why does that threaten you? What is threatening Carrie about that? And I might find out I'm insecure because I don't want my partner to leave me or I don't want my partner to find somebody better than me. And if I go underneath that, I might look deeper and I might say, well, maybe I don't really feel worthy of my partner because my partner is a really cool person and I might really not feel like this partner, you know, should be with somebody like me. Okay, I'm going to go into that and look deeper and say, what part of Carrie doesn't think she deserves love? And I'm going to find some little child from when I'm really young that couldn't trust people to do what they said they were going to do and is afraid of getting hurt and has made a story in her mind that she's not worthy of love because it keeps getting taken away. Well, so now I can do an inner child healing with myself. And then at the end of all of that, when I've done my personal work and I'm feeling like, okay, I'm good, I'm good, I know where this all comes from, at that point I can say to my partner, you know what, I just processed so much stuff about your connection with this person. And he might say, really? Like what? And I'd say, well, I went through this and I thought about this and then I went over here and I thought about this and then I went inside my heart and I thought about this and all of this got stirred up. And he might look at me and say, well, that's really interesting. Do you want to ask me a question about this relationship? And I would say, do I need to ask you a question about this relationship? And he would say, no, actually you don't, but I'll tell you, I really like her, and we're going to go to dinner with her next week. Okay, cool. So it just takes so much of the drama out of things. It's not that you don't have the conversation. It's just that you do your work first so you know where the trigger is actually coming from. It's definitely not coming from that other person. It's coming from all the things and like a thousand more things I didn't even mention, right, that are in our brains yeah. and in what we think is reality. But this is not reality at all. It has nothing to do with reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's awesome. I love that example. That was that was just stellar. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and, and we're going to take a break. Uh, and when we come back, I want to talk more about uh, saving humanity, connecting to Mother Earth, and this new book uh, that you have. Um, and, uh, you know, particularly, you know, maybe how connecting with Earth spirituality can maybe make uh, help us make better decisions. We'll, we'll get into all of that uh, in just a minute. Uh, but first, um, I have a word for my listeners uh, from, uh, from Joe Carson. And uh, let me see. Ah, here we go. This is from Jonathan Nightshade, a Gardnerian high priest of the Whitecroft line a traditional craft practitioner and researcher, writing about Joe Carson's book, Celebrate Wildness, 
Magic, Mirth, and Love on the Feriferia Path. I love this book, how special this work is, and how appreciated. As someone who was young in the 1970s, and through the years only found snippets of information on Feriferia, one of the first modern pagan paths, this book comes as an artistic revelation of the core practices of the way of the goddess and gods reborn for the next age of the Divine Maiden. She has clearly introduced the historical background, philosophy and ritual practices of the joyous wilderness mysteries of the fairy faith, illuminated by the marvelous pagan art of Feriferia's founder, Fred Adams. I was very pleased that the high-quality production of this oversized volume makes it a collectible work of art, as well as a testament to the visionary philosophy of Fred Adams. I feel blessed that I received a copy. I will treasure it and look forward to the next book for more of the deep philosophy and ritual practice of Feriferia. Celebrate Wildness is a dense, art book-quality, hardcover book. You can get it for just $45 from the Feriferia website, at feriferia.org. That's F-E-R-A-F-E-R-I-A dot org. Well, if you're a regular listener, um, you're familiar a bit, uh, at least, I think, with Joe Carson of Feriferia. Uh, she's um, run some of her commercials here about her two books, uh, Celebrate Wildness and uh, Dancing with Gaia. Um, and there's a wonderful opportunity actually coming up uh, to connect with her on a more personal level. Actually, um, May 20th, she's going to be at a Cherry Hill Seminary. And she is going to be discussing feriferia, uh, the, signi- the significance of uh, fairy awareness in our daily lives. Um, Joe and uh, Cherry Hill Seminary Executive Director uh, Holly Emore uh, will be together uh, in, in discussion of this. They're going to be using uh, art and photos, and uh, Joe is going to delve into the history and importance of this topic. And uh, if you don't know much about Joe, uh, you should. She's a person to uh, to know and uh, uh, follow her work. She's a pagan priestess, and she seeks to create positive visions of the future through Feriferia, a love culture for wilderness. Uh, she's the chair of the board of Feriferia, which she joined in 72. She has a master's degree in film production from UCLA. She's done camera work on numerous feature films. Uh, she directed and produced the documentary feature Dancing with Gaia, Ener- uh, Earth Energy, Sacred Sexuality, and the Return of Goddess, which we uh, mention here. Uh, also other documentary shorts, uh, for instance, A Dance for the Goddess about Feriferian rites and uh, Himalayan Pilgrimage, A Visionary Journey, uh, and she authored uh, Celebrate Wildness, Magic, Mirth, and Love in the Feriferia Path, which is an artistic introduction to Feriferia. And she's currently working on a Feriferian tarot deck, um, in an associated book. So she seeks to inspire a deeper connection to the natural world and a greater sense of wonder and magic in everyday life. So uh, you definitely want to Google uh, cherryhillseminary.org and you will see how to register uh, for this event May 20th uh, uh, Pacific Time 
uh, at 12 noon. And uh, one final thing before we get back to Carrie, I want to keep reminding you about the Divine Feminine app because it is such a great resource. Uh, it's been around for a few years, but, you know, uh, everyone doesn't know about it yet. And uh, the Divine Feminine app is a great resource, uh, resource for finding uh, local sacred circles, events, and resources. Uh, it has a feature where newly added and local events are sent out uh, into your inbox every Tuesday. Uh, you can go to the divinefeminineapp.com to register. It's quick. It doesn't cost you anything. And as a benefit to our listeners, uh, you can click on Upgrade Membership and scroll down, use the code SACREDFEMININE, and you'll get a 90-day access to entering your own featured events that will be sent to local users. And if you're saying, oh, well, I know what's going on in my world, uh, that's cool. I'm glad. Um, But it also has uh, a lot of virtual events as well uh, so you can get beyond your neighborhood beyond your local community and learn about retreats and uh, sacred tours and um, even podcasts like ours so that's divinefeminineapp.com so Carrie um, let's get back to your your newest book and um, in it you talk about um, how connecting with earth spirituality uh, can help us uh, make better decisions, and is that connected at all to um, you know the in, indigenous uh, Native American people? Yeah, it absolutely is connected to indigenous people and their philosophy and their way of life and the way that they think about themselves in relationship with all of life on the planet. And I think we can learn a lot from them because indigenous people realize that they are part of the fabric of creation on this planet. Like they're connected to the plants and the animals and the waters and all of life on the planet. And so the energy with which they meet the day and the energy with which they may move through their lives and the decisions that they make, they all have impact on the planet. And indigenous people understand this. Western people think we're somehow separate from the planet. Like, we think that we're just walking on the planet. We just magically appeared on the planet. And, you know, like, we just don't have any, you know, it doesn't matter, like, what we do or say. And and our, you know, our kind of self-focused way of thinking about things has caused a lot of problems on a lot of places on this planet. And some some things are set into motion um, from an environmentalist perspective that are, not looking good, you know, from the science perspective. So it's really um, a call to us to become more like the indigenous people and to recognize our impact. And it's our impact in our family systems. It's our impact in the communities. It's our impact in how we um, source food, how we uh, treat other people from other cultures, how we treat people living in in your very country how we treat ourselves, how we treat our bodies. You know, everything is multidimensional, and so as above, so below. And so how we treat our bodies and how we talk to ourselves is an energetic that's actually coming out into the planet too. It's affecting everybody. Um, And so when we become aware of the impact that we have, then we no longer feel powerless. We realize how powerful we've always been. And when we start to feel powerful, we start to realize oh my gosh, like I'm not scraping by, I'm not 
you know, a child without means. I'm actually somebody that can make a decision about something and I can I can think seven generations ahead instead of five minutes ahead. I can start to make decisions that would be beneficial for seven generations from now, my, my grandchildren's children's children. I can start making decisions like that instead of decisions in the next five minutes to get my needs met. I can start to have a broader view. So what would, you know, give us an example of what making a decision thinking ahead seven generations might look like. Well, for example, um, we have companies that tear down woodland areas, right, tear down jungles, for example. And let's just take that. I mean, in South America, there are jungles that are actually the lungs of the planet. They serve as the lungs of the planet. But because we have private interests and because we have corporations that like to make a profit, they go down to these countries and they strong arm them, they bully them into getting um, that land and then they tear all of the jungle down and they build, you know, whatever they feel, whatever crop they feel like growing that is in demand that they're going to make a lot of money on. Well, that's very short-term thinking. You know, that is not thinking about how long it took that jungle to grow all of its beautiful medicines and all of the foliage that becomes the, the oxygen for the planet. It's not thinking about the impact of that. And there's lots of examples like that. And then when we as consumers keep buying the goods from those companies because it's just quick and easy and efficient for us to keep doing that, Instead of taking the harder road and going, I'm going to research the companies whose products I'm buying, and I'm going to make sure that I'm buying products from companies that aren't tearing down rainforest. I'm going to make sure I'm buying products from companies that aren't dumping pollutants into the waters, into the earth. I'm going to make sure I'm buying products from companies that are eco-sensitive, that are looking at the long-term impact of things. And it might be inconvenient for me as a consumer because I might have to pay a little bit more money to have eco-friendly products, but I'm willing to do that, you know. And it might it might look more like also like my, you know, during COVID, for example, during the pandemic, we realized we can work from home. Actually, we're more productive when we work from home. And it has this the be- extreme benefit of not having billions of cars on the road creating pollutants in the atmosphere, right? And so coming back into you know, people wanted to go back to normal, so to speak, and forget all the lessons we learned from the pandemic and just go back to rush hour traffic and bumper to bumper and smog everywhere. It's like somebody's got to stand up and say, this isn't right. We need to stop doing this. Yeah, we proved we didn't need to do this, so why do we keep doing it? Um, well, I'm wondering, Carrie, you, uh, you, you know, uh, sparked my brain here. Uh, for someone who doesn't have the time to maybe research these companies, is there a resource, is there a quick and easy reference that people can maybe find that would tell them as they're walking down the aisles in the grocery store, um, you know, maybe what products they might not want to purchase? There's actually a woman, um, and the podcast is Mrs. Green's World. Um, I'll have to get you uh, the link. But, yeah, she she has compiled tons of information for people to make sustainable, healthy, and socially just decisions. And she's got an entire podcast. She's got a movement. It's called Mrs. Green's World, and it's MRS 
G-R-E-E-N-S-World.com. And so that's just one resource that these people are doing amazing things, pointing out like products you should be purchasing and stuff you really shouldn't be putting in your body and things you shouldn't be allowing to happen on the planet. Got it. And um, the word embodiment, we hear it often. Um, Tell us a little bit more about embodiment and why it's important and how it fits into this scheme of things we're talking about today. Yeah, embodiment, it means that you're actually feeling your body and feeling the feelings of your body and healing your body thereby instead of kind of floating outside your body. Like a lot of people live from their neck up. You know, they live only in the mind, and it takes a really big emergency for them to realize that there is something going on in their body that needs attention. And, you know, Western medical is kind of geared toward that model because they only detect things when you're like dire, you know, like it's bad. By the time you go see them, and your numbers are bad. Now, when we go to an Eastern mindset or an indigenous mindset, we're playing with the nuances of things. We're paying attention at much subtler levels of attention than the sledgehammer. So we're, we're paying attention to the body. If there's like a little tension in your throat, we pay attention to that. We go into it. We look at it. We slow everything down, and we don't try to go at the rat race pace. We specifically say, that doesn't serve me to go at the rat race pace. That makes me ill. That makes me sick. That makes me so busy. I don't know what's going on in my own body. That makes me sit at my desk all day and not even go to the bathroom once. You know, I've seen people doing this. Like a lawyer sat all day long at a desk and did she didn't even get a glass of water or go to the bathroom. I don't know how a person does that. So this is the kind of thing when we neglect our bodies, we're not taking care of ourselves. And we're going to have burnout. We're going to have disease. We're going to have complications. And they're going to be serious things by the time we pay attention to it because we're not even going to the bathroom. So we need to slow it way down, you know, and pay attention to nuances, really Mm -hmm. self-care, paying attention. And that's what embodiment is. So when when we embody ourselves, when we slow it down and we pay attention, what happens is that we might feel some things that we repressed. We might start to remember a trauma. We, start, we might start to remember a feeling we used to have. We might start to remember an event in our family. We might start to remember a time when we were accosted or we were violated. These are painful things that people don't want to feel. They don't want to remember that. They want to leave it in the past. But the truth is it's never in the past. It's always inside of you until it's felt, witnessed, and healed. So embodiment is about deciding to be present with yourself and your physical body and all the traumas that might have been stored in there, all the repressed emotions you never wanted to feel or face, and actually choosing to feel and face it. And what it does is it brings you into presence with the capacity to be present with difficult things, which is what we need to be on the planet right now because we have a lot of really difficult things that we're facing on the planet And we need to be present with those in our bodies in order to make good decisions, Um, being connected and present in our bodies. And another aspect of embodiment is being connected with Mother Earth. So the more we face these traumas and we clear these old feelings that we never wanted to feel, we get more and more clear of a connection with Mother Earth. We actually get messages so much more easily from Mother Earth and from our higher guidance. 
And that tells us which way to go. So we get guided so much easier when we're embodied than when we're not embodied. And I think probably you would say another aspect or trick to this embodiment or process would be stillness and silence, right? Absolutely stillness and silence, which is the opposite of what's happening in the culture. So all of you're going to be required if you really want to be free and you want to be embodied and you want to be part of the solution of new earth and you want to have a planet for your children's children to live on, you kind of have to do the opposite of what everyone else is doing. You know, everyone else is distracted. Everyone's on their social media and their computer. They're, you know, they're trying not to feel things. So they're drinking a lot of wine or having marijuana and all that stuff we talked about. So when you want to actually wake, awaken and have this homo luminous opportunity, you've got to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. And that's going to be being still and silent for at least part of your day so you can get connected with your heart, connected with your body, connected with the planet, clear in your guidance for the day, and clear in your intentions. And then you move your day from that place and things are going to go so much more beautifully than the other way when we just kind of you right. know, pell-mell down the hill with everybody else. Right. Yeah, I was, uh, I, w- I was just having a conversation with a woman uh, recently. Uh, she invited me on her radio show, and I went into her studio, and she was so annoyed with me because I didn't text. And, um, you know, I said, you know what, people can reach me by phone, by email. I'm resisting texting. (laughs) And she said, but it's so inconvenient. I said, but you know what, I don't think I really need it. I've lived without it for years. I'm resisting. And by the end of the day, she said, you know what, I think I might start, uh, start, stop texting myself. <laughs> and uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm from a generation that didn't have even email or texting, and we got along just fine, you know. So I guess I feel like um, all of this technology, uh, while it is convenient, you know, we can say no to some of it. You know, do we really need to be available to everybody 24/7? I mean, it's crazy. I agree, and that's really one of the things that I um, realized at the end of my former relationship was that I didn't really like being on call all the time and and have to give a response within like two minutes. There was so much stress living that way. And when I left that relationship, I left that being on call thing. And, you know, so now I'm balancing the two worlds because I am an international speaker like yourself, you know, so I do have engagements and things I need to be present for. And so Google Calendar is wonderful. It helps me be on time, helps me know what's going on. But same, like I don't, I don't want to have to respond to something at a moment's notice. I would like to move through my day more in the flow of life, in the flow of, you know, the life unfolding, the mystery unfolding before me and have the sense of that ease and grace as I move through my day while still showing up for the things I need to be present for. So there is a balance, you know, to balance both. So it's not about like completely shunning the one in favor of the other, but it is about realizing like there's there's a shadow aspect to every, to everything, so there's a shadow aspect to being only in your silence and only in your stillness and meditating for like dozens of years on top of the mountain. And the shadow aspect of that is that you're not you're not actually engaging in your humanness. You're just trying to get into your spiritness 
but you're not really engaging in your humanness. And so there's also a downside the other direction of being constantly available and constantly, you know, involved in the human drama, like all the time, immersed in it with no relief whatsoever. That's another imbalance. So what we want to do yeah. is bring ourselves into a unique harmony with the elements present in our lives in a way that feels good for us. And nobody can tell you what that balance is. Your balance is different than mine. So, yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, I know we're starting to run out of time here, Carrie, and I didn't get to everything I wanted to ask you. So um, I think I'd like to just say um, what ideas beyond what we've said already, you know, what would you like to leave listeners with? What thoughts? I would really like to invite everyone to realize that your body is made of earth, and earth is not just a floor. She's a conscious being. And your body is made of earth, and so therefore your body is in constant communication with earth. Like you're never separate or alone. You can't possibly be because you're inside a body, you know, that's made of earth. So, like, there's no alone. There's no separate. That's all a complete illusion and fabrication. And we're connected with the entire planet, and it's all made of earth. So we could be like a healthy cell of earth. And I love this um, metaphor that came to me one day during a channeling session where my guys were like, listen, Carrie, you are tending your own garden of earth. Like that's what that means to be an earth keeper. That's what that means to be the, the garden keeper that we always were told we were the steward of earth. You are the steward of earth in your body. You are the steward of that piece of earth. And when you get good at being a steward of that piece of earth, you can start to steward other pieces. Like you can start to be a steward in your family and in your community and in the world at large. You can be a a steward of that. But it starts with being a steward of your actual yourself, your body, your thoughts, your emotions, your physical sensations, your body itself. So I just encourage everyone to just come home to your body, realize that, you know, we have lots of support from earth. Um, The medicine wheel is something I teach, which a lot of people may or may not be familiar with, but it's the indigenous practice of the four directions, calling in a cyclical uh, rather than a linear kind of relationship with life, and relaxing into those natural rhythms instead of being so um, go, go, go. And I really, I hope everyone can slow down this week and take a pause, connect with your body, put the hand over heart, hand over belly, take a deep, nice deep breath and just go, ah, this is my home for this life. I'm going to take care of my home for this life. You made me just take a deep breath. (laughs) Yay, I love that. (laughs) So, Carrie, tell uh, all my listeners how they can find you and your delicious uh, podcast, Soul Nectar, and uh, the best way to contact you, find your books, all that good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. My website is a one-stop shop for all of that. Uh, You can get it at uh, carriehummingbird.com. That's K E R R I hummingbird.com and if you want the first chapter of inner medicine for free you can go to carryhummingbird.com forward slash inner medicine all one word awesome well carrie thank you so much for all the wisdom you've shared today and uh i so totally enjoyed our conversation and uh congratulations on your success out there with your books and i have a feeling there's probably a lot more coming from you lady 
<laughs> Probably, you know. I'm still alive, so I guess I can still write. <clears throat> there you go. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, and uh, you have a wonderful week. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, yeah, for listeners who uh, might be interested in the conversation that uh, uh, Carrie had with me about my book, Normalizing Ab- Abuse, uh, you can find it on her uh, Soul Nectar show. And uh, we talked uh, uh, more about uh, some of the things we touched on today. And um, as we are uh, running a little short on time, let me just um, say that we are off next Wednesday, uh, the 17th. Uh, There will be no show. Uh, But the following Wednesday, uh, Daniel Minty and Julie Stables, uh, they're with me uh, talking about their book, uh, Reclaiming Life After Trauma. And on uh, May 31st, David Elkington, he's with me, and we're going to be talking about uh, the ancient language of sacred sound. I hope you will um, tune in, and uh, better yet, go to my uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine page and subscribe uh, to the show, and you will get a notice in your um, inbox every week um, when the show is going to start. You can listen to it, you know, when we go live, or you listen to it later. And please do go visit my website, uh, karentate.net. There's lots of great stuff there for you. Uh, Travel stories, articles, podcasts, uh, meditations, um, inspiration, tools for hope, um, good stuff. I have been putting, I think, a lot of great content there. So um, I will close with one of my favorite quotes. Uh, This one is by the Egyptian poet uh, Hafez Ibrahim. He said, when you educate a woman, you create a nation. I like that. All right. Well, as usual, we will say goodbye uh, with uh, an homage to Sekhmet, the Egyptian lion-headed goddess of courage, strength, uh, personal boundaries, uh, and here she is. <laughs>